Hey team, welcome to the off-season. The off-season is an exploration of athletic health, recovery, and performance told through stories of athletes and their medical and training team. I hope you enjoy. Now for a quick but mandatory medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of naturopathic medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this material is at user's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they may have and should seek assistance from their trusted healthcare professional for any condition. This podcast does not speak on behalf of naturopathic medicine and does not represent the views of the profession as a whole. Welcome to episode three, guys. Uh, today I'm sitting down with Chris Kalidis. He's a former UFC fighter and has moved on to Russia. So we kind of talk a lot about that transition and what the UFC was like. Um, we heavily get into weight cutting, and this is a subject that I've been researching a lot lately. We talk a little bit about George Lockhart methods today in the interview, but um, the more I research, the more I find um, Clint Wattenberg is putting out some amazing stuff from the UFC Performance Institute. And Chris also has some wicked tips today. So if you're an athlete and you're um, thinking about cutting weight, definitely tune into this one. Um, yeah, so here's Chris. Hey Chris, what's going on? Nothing much. Just... Welcome to uh, the off season. Yes, this is great. Yeah, this is a kind of like, I don't know, big morning for you. I get, you worked all night and now you're worked here. Worked all night, fueled on coffee So and many caffeine coffees. and here we are. I love it. So you've done so much with um, your athletic career, but like, let's start where you grew up. Where I grew up? I grew up, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm like a little less hobo, I guess. <laughs> I was born in the, uh, in the States and uh, didn't live there very long, just a few months. And then my parents were originally from uh, New Brunswick. Um, so that's kind of where I spent my, my younger years till about uh, 14. Lived in Sussex, New Brunswick. Sussex. Dairy town. What is that, Silver Fox? No, so, that's uh, No. Salisbury. Oh, Salisbury is a silver. Yeah, I was thinking of that. But uh, yeah, so I grew up there until I was about 14. Moved to the valley, Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia, the beautiful yeah. Annapolis Valley. And uh, kind of grew up there from about 14, 15 to I moved to the city, um, to Cole Harbor and about nine years ago, ten years ago. So Nice. I think we call it Soul Harbor, don't Soul we? Soul Harbor. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. So what? Uh, when did you start fighting or when did you get into... MMA and BJJ? Uh, I actually, I lived in Ontario for a year and uh, for whatever reason I was like, I don't know, I was captivated by it so I wanted to like start doing it. So I looked at a few places and never really found anywhere um, to go. There was a Y there so I was, I was training at the Y like just lifting weights and whatever. And there was like a Japanese jujitsu place. I didn't know the difference at the time. So I, but I, it only took me like one class. I took one class. I'm like, no, this isn't the, at all what I was looking for. So I, uh, I did that for a little bit. Then when I moved back to um, the valley, I was living in Wolfville, and there was actually a gym. Like I could have threw a stone from my house, from my apartment where I was, to this gym. So I started training there um, at Abaya Mixed Martial Arts. It was just a jujitsu gym. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and that was like maybe 2005-ish. I can never really lock down the date, but I think it was around 2005. And I just started doing Jiu-Jitsu and uh, kind of training MMA all at the same time. Like, that was my introduction to it, and 
I kind of wanted to get into it to fight. Like, there was just something about it. Like, growing up, country, enjoyed aggressiveness, I guess you say. <laughs> like, I played hockey growing up, but it was always to be the first in the quarter. And, like, I just liked the, that, the competitive nature of it. So it was definitely something that I wanted to uh, – I was entertaining in my mind and thought, hey, try it, you know, train for a little while and see. So it just one thing led to another, and I had a knack for it. And the guys that I trained with – actually asked me if I'd ever thought about it and just the rest was kind of history from there just progressed and uh, just kept training and just kind of fell in love with it and nice valley fighter boy I love it yeah so (laughs) um what about other sports so you said you played hockey was yeah I played uh hockey and baseball mostly growing up um in New Brunswick they had like a lot of of good uh competitive baseball so myself and my brothers always played sports like that was every day in the summer was playing baseball out in the fields and hockey for or uh ball hockey or whatever it was so yeah just those two were the were the main sports a little bit of soccer but just like athletics in general yeah i know from like small towns and stuff do you feel like athletics kind of kept you out of trouble as well yeah for sure uh, it there just wasn't even like another choice really we just that's just what we all gravitated to and we kind of always had the neighborhood where everybody was, so there was always, you know, a half dozen to a dozen kids floating around that we could kind of figure out some kind of sport <laughs> or activity. So we, we did it all. We had, I mean, I remember the backyard flooded one time. We were in a field, and we, like, built boats and rafts. So it was like, whatever. We did. <laughs> we, we came up with all kinds of crazy stuff. The built. initiative. I love it. Yeah, we were, I don't know. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, I think about it. Good though, because now when I look back on kids that I, I work with or kids that I know now and they're just like stuck inside, they play video games. I'm like, oh my Lord, what is happening that there's like no activity at all. I know. It's a whole generation just lost. I feel like we didn't come inside ever. Like, no, I, yeah, exactly. That's And now it's the complete opposite. It's polar opposite. So Yeah. Um, so just kind of back to MMA, like was there a coach involved or was it just like these this crew that you trained with were like, hey, you're probably pretty good at this. You could keep going. Uh, no. So I was actually really, really fortunate because the guys that I started learning um, that taught me jiu-jitsu in the beginning were guys, they actually moved from Ontario. So they had like a combative background, uh, Rowan Cunningham and Pat Bazinet were the guys that started Abaya and Rowan actually fought a number of fights before I even met him. And uh, so he was kind of like, he was ahead of the curve, definitely for the Valley, like, or for the the Valley, but even like within Eastern Nova Scotia, Mm -hmm. Atlanta, Canada, it hadn't really that was just the infant stages of it, like early 2000s, when it started to kind of just get its roots here. And it's now it's incredible to see how much it's grown. Because back then, you know, the way that the belt system works, <clears throat> white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, and like a blue belt was like an anomaly. Now it's like, I know dozens of black belts. Yeah, it's say. crazy. Like just the level, how, how it's gone up and... In a decade or so, it's uh, it's pretty impressive to see the growth of the sport. And, uh, yeah. So, with fighting, like, it, to me, it just seems like the most intense sport you could imagine. Like, you're just in a ring with another person, and you're both going so hard. What does that feel like? Uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, it's indescribable, really. I mean, yeah. 
I don't know. It's intense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had different feelings, like in 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 different in every situation. Sometimes it's never really the same. Sometimes it's like time stops, and you're just you're in the moment. Sometimes you're in there and you feel like you're on speed and everything's on fast forward. And then um, you know sometimes it's a mixture of both, where you have moments of of both, but. It's uh, it's kind of like an organized chaos. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Is there any like controlling that chaos, or do you feel like there's techniques that you've worked on that allow you to function better in the ring? Yeah, I mean, for myself, I just like, I think there's just natural things that I have. Like, I'm pretty good under pressure. Not many things phase me. So, you know, I've had a lot of sticky situations just like within fighting, as far as like preparation and where things go wrong and. I'm just pretty easygoing, and I just kind of roll with it. So I think in the moment, I'm more easygoing and, and, and better at rolling with it than having the pressure get to me. Mm-hmm. But there definitely are times when, when the pressure gets to you or sometimes you get inside your own head. But there's not anything strategically that I do every time to keep myself there. It's just I think it's me as a person. I'm able to kind of roll with it a little easier. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I always think of like, well, most hockey players do the exact same thing before a game or the exact same thing after. Yeah. It's such like a superstitious. So sport. habitual and yeah. superstitious, yeah. You kind of don't have anything that you do on the constant? No, not really. No. Is there a headspace that you have to like get into or is there something that you've worked on for a really long time to be able to calm down or is it just kind of innate for you? No, it's actually the opposite. I, used, I try to get myself kind of amped up now because I used to be too calm and it was always like everybody would be like oh when they watch me fight they know like the first round is a wash because I don't start fighting usually to the second round <laughs> because the first round I'm just so like lackadaisical about it in a way like um I'm almost too calm mm. so I've I've worked at trying to like get myself amped up a little more just to like firing on all cylinders right away um because I've lost decisions or had close fights because you know if you let that first round go then it's not good but I would say, like, my hardest fight, most difficult time I had was probably this last fight that I had. And it was just, like, back-to-back, and just I had been grinding so much training and leaning up to it. And it was – I didn't want to fight, like, even before I went out. I was, like, sitting there, and I was like, man, I had to, like, really give myself some pep talks to get myself geared up to go. Because it wasn't, like, that I was scared. I just had no desire to want to do it. Definitely. Yeah. The whole week, actually. The whole fight week was kind of like that. And I'd never experienced that. That was definitely something new for me to to encounter. But Yeah, we kind of saw you in here, and it was just like just such a massive cut or like a change-up that you would have to do and yeah. just right back into it so quickly, hey? Yeah, because it was only about I'd fought in August, mid-August, or sorry, early August and then mid-October. So it wasn't a whole lot of time, but that's not uncommon for me. Like I, I have done that in the past, and I, I did it perfect so it wasn't an issue so I didn't think this time it would but sometimes I guess psychologically you don't kind of know where you're gonna be right so that was a that was a learning curve plus I'm no spring chicken now (laughs) getting up there so maybe come on you're so good (laughs) um that's kind of like a good transition to um talking about kind of weight cutting and and where that's at in the sport I I see a lot of um athletes come in here and what they go through for cuts like blows my yeah. mind and what they're doing to their bodies is terrifying in a lot of instances um do you want to share like some of your experiences on weight cutting yeah where to start <laughs> uh 
Maybe like the worst and the best situations. Well, I started like when I first started fighting and competing, the lightest weight class was 145. Mm -hmm. So the 145 at that point, I'm not even sure. It wasn't even in the UFC, I don't think. So 145 is just the smallest. Now I'm like 5'6", and I'm 150-ish pounds right now. So even then, I was like chubby, and I started a couple fights at 45, one, and then I dropped to 135 and one, and those were easy weights. Uh, and then when I went to flyweight, which is 125, that was I only did that one time before I fought in the UFC. So the weight cutting thing was very new to me until mm-hmm. like the highest point of my career. So I hadn't really had a whole lot of experience, or I hadn't really had to like emphasize that much. Um, so my very first fight in the UFC was on five days notice. So that was like the most weight I ever cut. How much was it? I was like 148 on a Sunday or Monday, and then I had to make weight on Friday. Wow. So that was probably the most like amount of weight that I ever had to cut in such a short period of time. Um, but I got through it. And, you know, it, it was obviously really like a, a big turning point in my career. But it was, I would never wish that on anybody to have to go through that. Yeah. And your performance, like, day of, how was, I mean, I guess from what I've seen, like, these athletes just get into this zone in their head. And, like, they're, most of everyone is dehydrated and malnourished at that point. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me that you can, like, optimize performance in any respect, hey? Eh? Yeah. It, it, particularly in that fight, because I know, like, I was what I did to myself <laughs> to to make that weight and it's like it would never I would never do that any other time but in the UFC you know if you don't make weight you don't have an opportunity to win the bonuses and you lose you know 20% of your purse which is kind of standard with most promotions so I, for me it was like no I have to make weight cuz in my mind I knew I was going to win this bonus I just knew it I don't know why and I did which was crazy <laughs> and I made weight and uh, and got fight of the night which I don't even it was a, it was just a surreal experience in that particular one because you just I it was like what I mentioned earlier I just kind of entered into this zone where you're just on autopilot but everything you were doing was just right and everything just kind of worked out and uh I don't, I don't know how – It's fighting is such a psychological battle. Like, it's very physical, but I think it's more psychological. And I think the more you know about the body, the more you realize, like, if your mind is on point, your body's just going to follow. And so many people, I think, get psyched out and their body fails them because their mind fails them first. Sure. And uh, I think that's kind of how – and fighters being, like, just very stubborn probably people, um, that's how they get through that, that phase is, like, you know, they've made the weight, so now it's just to power through and do it, right? Yeah. But I know personally, like, I, I toss around the idea of going up in weight all the time because I know that I'm not competing in a fight the same way that I am in the gym yeah. at whatever my optimal weight is at that point, you know? So I wish fighting was more like that where they put an emphasis on just fighting at a natural weight, finding a natural weight. Everybody's different, I know, so it's difficult, but I think the performances would be much better. Yeah, I agree. And just even the, I don't know, projections for weight cutting, like I have young female athletes coming in here and trying to cut weight and they're bordering, you know, hormone dysregulation because of it. And I'm starting to see that in guys too. So it's pretty crazy what it's doing to the human body as well, right? 
Yeah, definitely. It's not, and and I see that especially. That's the one thing that concerns me when I see women doing it more so is because I, not that their bodies are. I mean, I just think hormonally it's different, and it's a lot more touch and go, and um, especially like younger females because it's you know at some point you want to have children or you know and they can't cut as much weight but i see in some instances that some of them do and it's like it's kind of scary oh it's terrifying yeah and their uh, body fat percentages just go down to nothing and mm-hmm. then there's no hormonal function anymore so they lose periods and they're like i'm young right now and then they don't care about having kids long term or they're not even thinking about that and yeah. it's super tough to watch and try to convey information to that age group you know they're just in it to win it and I get it like I get the athlete side of things and I've kind of made ever so slight uh educated allowances I guess for some of that stuff say like listen you know what you're doing long term these are the consequences um and if you still want to go ahead with it there's a safer way to do things yeah um and I've been reading up a lot on uh George Lockhart's methods have you done a lot with his yeah I've I've actually used George um the very first time I went to Russia I was like, okay, I got to have this on point because of the travel. So I, I worked with him, used his diet, and I still do it now, but that was the first time that I, like, you know, talked with him on the phone and specifically, like, had him help me with my weight cut. And after that, it was, like, so much more smooth to, to do it with uh, his protocols and just have something to follow because up until that point, I mean, there's a few people that had something to, to go by, but it's a fine line when you get into that world dieting and and making weight is like people want to help but at the same time they're trying to curve a niche where they can make money too so you're getting tidbits of information rather than a plan like that's kind of somewhat catered for you so that's what i appreciate um about uh the fitness vt they have a website and i just kind of i'm on there i put my information in where i want to be and it keeps me on track yeah and it's uh it's the big thing is like you're not malnourished you're not you know underperforming because of diet right even in the gym like so many times i look back now and i'm like i'm eating spinach and egg whites for weeks to try to make the weight and it's like no wonder you feel like crap while you're there's no fuel yeah you've got nothing right so yeah that was a that was a big uh that was a big turning point was was his information and working with him I love that he emphasizes too that there's um, like the couple weeks leading up the amount of weight you could lose by food cutting is negligible almost. Even. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. That's something that I've used predominantly the last couple of fights. Like keeping in mind like fight week is all just water manipulation. It's just hormones and water and how you operate that to optimize it. Right. I've I've actually had some of the Russian fighters and international fighters now contact me on how to cut weight <laughs> that's awesome because i'm the only one who always makes weight i've gone over there now uh five times had five fights and at least three of the times maybe four they've missed weight wow yeah so you got so, a lot to teach them yeah there. i don't know I, I i'm like just trying to teach them water loading and yeah. some basic things right because it's it's really not that difficult really. yeah it's if kind you of know, physiology like, right yeah if you know a couple of things i'm like well i don't understand but guys at the highest level now still have access to this information and they still like have problems making it happen yeah it's just not in their wheelhouse to put into action kind of yeah but for me it's all about safety so i want to like emphasize those the, the points that are going to make it the easiest for me to cut and it used to be that guys especially from like a, a wrestling mindset was always about 
you know, we'll just power through. We'll just sit in the sauna and whatever, right? And they're destroy young your bodies. And, yeah, destroy your bodies. And you're you're young. Like, that's one thing that I'm happy about is I got into the sport way older than – I didn't start training till I was, like, 25. So I was already mature in my mindset and my body, I guess, but mostly my mindset. Like, I don't train – to grind myself down and beat myself up. I don't cut weight to like kill myself unless there's like, it's obviously that it's worth it in some regard. Right. But a lot of people, they're just young and they just want to just push through and be strong and be whatever. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that's that athlete mindset too. Like we can get so far on it and that headspace part of it too. Like it's amazing what we can grind our bodies through, but long-term, you know, functionality, it's, it's not beneficial, you know, and we always have to play that game now longevity versus athletic performance i feel that's that's how i approach it with my training especially because i'm like i'm i'm 38 which is old in fight years (laughs) apparently they tell me but it's like if these 20 year olds are like beating themselves up and they're going to be drooling like when they're 40 and i'm like i don't want to be like that i still want to have a life and have kids or be able to think and do math when i'm 50 or 60 years old i don't want to be just you know not even be able to remember the good times because you were too too busy having fun with the good times. <laughs> yeah. Have you had any uh, pretty bad head trauma? Yeah, I mean, I, I've only had... I, I can't say I've only had. But I've only had a couple concussions, probably. Probably one in particular from fighting. But, you know, growing up, I definitely, like, hockey, I remember one. And there's a couple, like, instances that I remember head trauma growing up. But as far as fighting, um, I, I definitely have taken taken a head kick one time that wasn't the greatest, and I was out for a while with that. Had some neck and uh, neck and back things that were an issue. I think more so than the concussion stuff. So, uh, like cognition wise, you've never really been affected. Yeah, that would be the only time, one of the only times where I knew it was a concussion. Cognitively, I was like, I, I felt it for about you know four to six weeks. And then when that cleared, I still had issues going on that were kind of like that, the muscular skeletal kind of issues that mimic those, those concussion kind of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I'm an expert now with concussions and with cutting weight. Man, look at you go. You got all the skills. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to coach in your retirement or yeah. what? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Someday, maybe. Yeah. Um, what about your transition, like, out of the UFC or into new... Uh, like into Russia and stuff like that. What what is that like? Uh, that's been an interesting thing. Um, when I when I was fighting in the UFC, so I went two and two over two years, and I never really thought that it was going to be an issue uh, re-signing with them. So it was kind of blindsided me when I didn't get a contract extension. But at the time, there was there's a lot of transition for them, and the flyweight division is something that's always been on the chopping block. So I don't know what was going on or why. You know, I didn't get re-signed, but I kind of I told myself if I was never in the if I wasn't in the UFC, then I wouldn't fight. But then I had the opportunity to kind of keep fighting with this opportunity in Russia. Um, they you know they pay a little bit better than what they what fighting would be in North America, and uh, it was an opportunity to see the world and and to be able to travel. And I know like there's, it's an opportunity for a lot of fighters, but I don't think that they want to take the opportunity because it's the traveling and whatnot, but I kind of embraced it. And that's kind of why I I wanted to keep fighting because there was just, there was something to gain more than money, the experience and being able to travel and 
I don't know, like, it's been 2017. I think November 2017 was the first fight uh, with M1 in uh, Russia. And I've been, you know, five fights now, and I've gotten to see, like, I haven't added them up, but there's probably a dozen places I've been to as far as countries. So I'm getting to see the world. and Jet-setting fighter now. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, tell me what it feels like. So you get over to Russia, whole new place. Food's different. Lifestyle's different. <laughs> you're trying to gear up for this fight. Walk me through some of those experiences on your first uh So the very first time I fought in Russia was in um, territory or province. I don't know what they would call it, but Ingushetia which is like very, very south. It's like next to Chechnya, just above like Azerbaijan, Iran. It's a very interesting part of the world. Very like Middle Eastern feeling more so. And uh, that was my first trip to Russia. You see a lot of guns. You see a lot of like <laughs> things that you're not really uh, see here every day. But the big, it was, it was very difficult because it was... Um, I didn't realize that they had like a dialect in their own their own language or form of. So I'm sitting there translating, trying to find grocery stores and whatnot. And this city that we're in is um is like a it's just a developing city, and it's there's not like grocery stores and things like that. So it was it was laid out really different. So I'm you know I have my translator trying to find just basic things like food and water, and it's very difficult. Because they're looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm just trying to figure out, I want food. Feed <laughs> me, <laughs> like, please. No salt, give me water, and something to eat. And uh, it was just difficult. So just things like that. But after that one time, you kind of like, you get you get it down, you know, you know what boxes to check. And okay, I got to do this, I got to do that. And like I said before, I'm just like pretty easygoing. So I just kind of roll with it. And uh Probably thank goodness in those situations. Yeah. yeah, which is probably why I have the confidence to do it. Yeah, you know, like that's why a lot of people probably just don't take the opportunity is because of that, right? Yeah, and because it's it's difficult to get a fair fight. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> Judging wise and things like that, I've had some questionable experiences, but to me it was like you know when you when you take that kind of opportunity, those are just things that you know are possibility so you kind of weigh them out and I just decided to go I think it's a great experience and Russia's kind of a little bit of the wild west I hear as well hey it's a little wild west compared to what I'm used to as far as you know commissions and like I said judging and just things like that it's they've they've got their own little uh formula that they have and you just as an international fighter you just kind of go in and Grin and bear it. <laughs> do your thing. Do your thing, yeah. And then for, I don't know, you know, like if the guys are taking, you know, anabolics and all that sort of stuff over yeah. there, is it pretty... I mean, the the truth is, outside of the UFC and even in the UFC, there's still guys that are getting popped with it. And when I was in the UFC, they brought in the USADA program. So yeah. they started testing, you know, uh, blood and urine in some cases. So they'll just show up at your gym or at your house at 6 in the morning or wherever you are. And you'd have to c- consistently be filling out whereabouts forms so that you knew they knew where you were at. And uh, they were pretty on top of it. But, I mean, outside of that, there's nobody that's doing standard, like, out-of-competition testing. Mm-hmm. So it's that's kind of like how, it's, how it is. So you kind of just you go with it. Yeah, and kind of you've been around the block for fighting and stuff like that, and I know you saw it in the UFC's band's IV therapy. What do you think about that for, like, a rehydration technique? 
I think like it's it's beneficial um, because there was a time in the UFC, pre UFC and UFC, I, I did use the IVs, and then when USADA came in and that program took place, I wasn't able to to IV. And then when I did my first couple fights in Russia, uh, I just I don't know why I didn't think of doing it, but I just stopped IVing and was doing the oral. And then the last couple fights, I've IV'd again, and it's the recovery is quicker. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you're if you're going to let the the massive weight cuts happen, then you should let the IVs happen. Because so I just to me it's like yeah, there's arguments. I know that George Lockhart talks a lot about it, like how you can do the oral um, reloading and it's as successful as as the IV. But I don't fully buy that because I think there is the psychological part to it. There's to me it's just if you can hydrate quicker that's the best way to do it. Like, I just, there's not any way to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's the way the to brain. do it. Yeah. So I think if you're going to continue to to let the massive weight cuts happen, you should let the IVs because yeah, it is I agree. safer. Yeah, and just watching, like, some of the detrimental aspects of the cut. I mean, most guys, unless you have the perfect rehydration program, which I haven't seen much of, um, and the perfect kind of ratios of potassium and yeah. sodium going back in, like, your your brain's at a disadvantage, you know? And then yeah. you're more susceptible to concussions. And so there's a lot going on there that I think IVs could be really beneficial for. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I'll do it again. <laughs> so I'm super interested in this uh, massive weight cut that you did. I don't think anyone fully understands what goes into weight cutting or how intense it can be and how potentially detrimental it can be to the body. Do you want to walk, walk us through that big weight cut that you did when you first started? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the weight cuts are an interesting part of fighting for sure. Um, it doesn't really matter um, how much weight you're really losing. Um, the process and the beginning stages and how you prepare your body for that are always going to be the same. So whether it's you know three, four pounds, some people lose. Some people consistently lose 10 to 20 pounds depending on your size. Um, and uh, I always get women asking, uh, about how I can lose 10 or 15 pounds in 24 hours. But it's uh, it's not something that anybody wants to experience and have to do. Um, there's like a preparation with the body. So you, you play with your hormone levels, um, you know, as far as certain hormones that you don't want to overreact so that your body can, can um, access that water and your muscles will deplete the deplete the fluids from your body so that you can do it properly and as safe as possible. So it's not something that everybody really wants to do. Um, I, I like to do uh, my weight cuts in the bath. So like I'll prepare my body, drink, you know, X many of gallons of water for so many days leading up to the, to the weight cut, you know, no salt, lack of carbs. So that these are all things that hold on to water in your body. So you, that's kind of the preparation part of your body that I'm talking about. And then uh, I like to use the bath, a hot bath to lose weight. Some people use the sauna. But really it's just about getting your core temperature up to lose and expel the water. Maintain that and your body will just release the water if you've prepared it properly. So for instance, that major weight cut that I would have done where I've had to lose, I, I don't even, I'd be guessing, but I think it was like probably between 15 and 20 pounds of water, which is a lot. 
when you're fighting at 125. So there's just, your body just doesn't have that much to give to you. You know, guys that are 180, 200 pounds, that's really not that big of a deal for them or as big of a deal. But when you're that small, water's coming from your muscles. You know, when you're getting to that level, water's coming from organs and, and brain function. There's just a lot of things, right? So that's why it's dangerous for fighting. But I use the bath. So, you know, you're in the bath for... The protocol I use now would be like 15 minutes out for a half hour to an hour, wrapped up in your body, just trying to keep your core temperature to sweat. So I remember when I fought my very first uh, UFC fight, it was five days notice. So I was literally just buck naked in the, in the bathtub and my guys are just like picking me up and taking me in and out of the tub. Like I just remember like... Just all I had to do was make weight. That's all. I just, in my mind, I always knew I would fight in the UFC and I always knew I would get a bonus. Those were the things like I was just very confident about. So I knew I had to make weight to make it happen. So for me, I just remember just like laying there, just like, just trying to get through it. And that's it. Yeah, I, I have this strange thing. I know when I'm at the end of my weight cut because... The f <laughs> I learned that from this experience, but uh, we were sitting out back. So when you're ready for the weigh-ins, they do the UFC does the weigh-ins. Um, now they're mock weigh-ins, but they used to be that you did them like as your weigh-in, your your weight cut. That was your your uh, your um, qualifying weight. So I remember waiting out back, and like my left ear goes deaf. Like that echoey, like when you get water in your yeah. ear, but really it's probably because of no water in your ear. <laughs> and uh, I just knew, like, and that's happened to me a couple of times. And that's when I knew I was like, something's not right. Like, you know, I'm as dry as dry can be. Um, but, you know, apart from that, you know, you're very weak, you know, and just it's horrible. Yeah, it just like defies you know, performance logic for me. Yeah. There's a stat out there, I think like 2% body water loss decreases performance by like up to 15%. So yeah, that rehydration protocol just becomes so important. And I just want to make sure that like athletes out there, you know, listen to this and take this into consideration. And you've been doing this for a really long time. So would you have any like tips that you would give people out there trying to make weight or cut weight that? I mean, it's, it's really about finding the best one for you, like weight class wise. That's, this is the problem, especially with the smaller weight classes. Like when you get under 155, like 10 pounds is a lot. So it's like 125, 135, 145. That's that's a huge jump for, and then 155. So that's a huge jump for guys that are only like my size fighting. So I've always found like 130, 132, somewhere in there would be like perfect for me. So if I go up to 135, I'm fighting guys that are much bigger. If I go down, then I, that's I'm depreciating myself as far as what I can offer skill-wise. But then you know it's a little more detrimental to my health in the long run to keep doing it. So it's um it's a, it's a weird thing. It's it's hard to like really um, qualify for someone, but definitely like erring on the side of skills. And, and where you can implement your best skills, skill sets, I think, is is your best weight class, you know. But following somebody, like George Locker is really knowledgeable, and he's very healthy about it, too. I mean, I'm sure that he pushes the limits, but with guys and, and girls that he uh, that he works with, but, I mean, he's, he's smart and he knows. So if you can follow someone like that, 
someone that's putting out information that's you know up to date and current and is tried and tested is kind of the best thing right because there still are is people that they fly solo and they just like wild west kind of mentality and because they read about it on youtube or something and it's just crazy yeah it's it's so interesting to hear some of the stories of what people are doing um yeah it it blows my mind that that's the performance aspect like you're right you just have to make sure that you have someone who knows what they're doing is trained in it because there's no research papers out there either like i've scoured the internet to figure out like best habits and stuff and we have basic physiology but we don't have you know tried trusted true methods aside from people who have been doing it for extra yeah and that's why it becomes like people talk about it like a bro science because really that is as scientific as this has gotten you know, like it's not, there isn't a whole lot of studies. There's no studies out there with somebody dehydrating themselves on this level. Like there's, there's no literature. There's, you know, like you said, two and three, 4% dehydration, which is still a lot for the, for a common person, but we're going way beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, 10, 10 plus percent probably. I'm, I'm 153 pounds right now. I'll fight. When I fight that night, I'm 140 to 145 pounds, and I weighing in at 125. So, I mean, that's telling you how much that somebody's cutting right there, right? It's it's insane, really. Yeah. Um, so after Russia, you head over to Russia, and then you fight this crazy fight, and then you come home, and you have to go back to, like, a full-time job now. What's that like? Uh, it's, it's not – I don't – it's weird. Like when I was in the UFC, I only fought and I trained. And then when I was out of the UFC, it was like, oh, it's time to get a job now because you need to have a pay bills. Yeah. Pay bills, apparently. And uh, it was like, it, to me, it kind of like it was refreshing because it brought back like more of a passion and why you do it. Like when something that is your passion and it just becomes your income and that's what you got to do, then it kind of takes the enjoyment out of it. There's a little more pressure that's on it. But for me, once I started working with the fighting again, it kind of like rejuvenated me a little bit as to why I was doing it. And, you know, that's kind of always been like my outlet, my hobby. So that was, it was kind of like in a weird way refreshing to kind of have both, right? Yeah, that's a cool take on it. It's, it's stressful for sure, but uh, it definitely is a little more rewarding. And I'm, I have, I'm, you know, blessed that I have a job where I can kind of, correct my schedule and do what I want to do to be able to do this because if I was working a nine-to-five for someone else it just it wouldn't happen yeah it wouldn't even be a possibility and training wise it would be so difficult to get your workouts in and what does uh, training look like these days um the last month or so it's been a little uh, on the low side <laughs> uh just trying to get through the new year the body was just grinding hard through the summer with two back-to-back fights so um it's difficult in the Maritimes to, particularly around here, which is strange because it's used to be a lot more activity with MMA, but, um, and it's getting there again. I think it's rebuilding, but there's not really like a gym around that is like a hardcore good group of guys to train MMA with. So there's pockets of it. Um, so for me, I'm just kind of like bouncing around doing, you know, boxing, I do boxing at Tribal Boxing in Dartmouth. Um, and they're great, uh, Bridget Stevens, and then Halifax BJJ. I train at in in uh, the North End in Halifax, and uh, formerly Pro Edge. <laughs> What's her new name? Now uh, Phase Two. Phase Two. Yeah. yeah. So with Carlos uh, Meza there, I train with, and 
I'm just kind of I'm all over the place, just trying to get it in wherever I can. And um, for me at this point in my career, like having a job and working, like it's I can't take off on long trips for training and stuff anymore. Like I used to go down south. I would go to Florida to American Top Team. And it's just like, it's it's an awesome experience and I love it and I wish I could do it, but you can't just disappear for four months. You know, bills have to be paid and so Need lights on and yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all the, all the adult things that have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have started fighting when I was like living in my parents' basement like a lot of kids now. Like, man, I fought kids that are like 19, 20, 21 and it's like, you know, you don't have the same uh, mental and psychological experience. However, it's like, it'd be nice to be getting those checks just living in your parents' basement. Yeah, <laughs> just fighting the money and going a little and, farther. And, yeah. yeah, but it's not so. But uh, no, it's it's been a, a good experience. I wouldn't wouldn't trade it for anything, really. Sure. And then, what about? I don't know. Do you foreseeably want to retire, or do you are you going to keep going until you can't? Or yeah, I mean, I've got uh, four more fights in Russia on the con- on this contract, so we'll see what happens there. And uh, depending on what weight class I want to continue with, we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll do another year, a year and a half, and. I'll be 39 in February, so that'll put me at almost 40, which is crazy to think that I'm still fighting at that age. But uh, but you're still like spry, you know. You're still doing everything. You're still training. You're still yeah. Yeah. I'm forward. a late bloomer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Everything is coming late. I started training late, you know. Um, getting the UFC late, still training, still fighting. So we'll see what happens. But you know, I've been good to my body as far as fighting is concerned. So. I've kind of had the the long term outlook and not the short term. So, yeah, I think that's good to remember too because there's a whole life after sport too, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a lot on this podcast, like the transitions into different periods of your life. And, yeah. Um, what about highlights of your career? Do you have one that just stands out to you that you're like, this was the ultimate? Well, I mean, everybody would probably say that my debut in Halifax for uh, UFC, and I, I would probably agree, but. I don't know. It's like I don't really reminisce. People ask me questions like that, and I'm like, I don't. I think because I'm caught up in the moment of now, still, like it's still an active thing for me. But when I sit back and start thinking about things, like there's a lot of different, you know, experiences that are great. Like August, I won uh, an interim uh, world title with M1, so that was like go to China. Um, I get to fight a guy that I had uh, lost a very close decision to, and I uh, got to go there beat him up, get the belt. So that was kind of like a cool experience. There's, there's so many that's just, I guess, the context of what it was, but definitely like fighting in my home city, you know, short notice was uh, was, a, was a big experience to get fight of the night, fight an undefeated fighter, like et cetera, et cetera. It was, there was big a lot night of, in Halifax. A lot right? of big, big, yeah, big moments with that fight. So that was probably one that would be one of the most memorable for sure, but... It's just such a journey yeah. to experience it all. So, you know, and the evolution probably over time as you get older and can like introspectively look back and yeah. see why it was important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they each have their moments of why they were important and what was so great about them. So, any times where you're like, I'm done with this. I want to quit. Like this is just brutal. No, I I I think that's the thing that I like the most about it is like is the journey of it all and the training process and just like the experiences, the camaraderie that you have with your training partners and just, 
it's its whole whole another level of uh, of how you get to know people and you know how you get to know yourself through that and kind of through fire for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's great to see how the sport is evolving now, where it used to be very hardcore people into it, and now it's like. I train with doctors and lawyers and just every person that you can think of from every mode of life that trains jiu-jitsu or kickboxing or something. So it's it's nice to see that it's taken on that aspect where everybody is, is locking onto it and it's not just kind of like your wrestlers or football players or ex-athletes that are just beating their heads against walls <laughs> training and everybody's scared. Because that, that is still a case with a lot of gyms is people walk in and they're more intimidated than they are comfortable, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that community sense, too, seems huge in the uh, jiu-jitsu sport. Like, and I'm sure with all of MMA, but it just seems like people become part of something. Yeah. And then there's always, like, this team behind you to support. And I think, like, a lot of transition out of athletics, that was the biggest part. You lost your team. And it, yeah. It sucks. Yeah, definitely. That's a big thing. And just in life, I think you see people... That's why CrossFit's a big thing, or people want to belong to a gym or wherever they feel comfortable because it's the community aspect where people want to feel welcomed and just have relationships with people outside of just pushing iron. Yeah, we need we need that sense of support and everything. What about, um, so like I always think the pillars of, I don't know, health would be sleep, nutrition, and exercise. We kind of talked about how exercise plays into all of that. Um, what about sleep and nutrition? Have they been huge in your career? Yeah, sleep. I'm someone who needs a lot of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> since uh, since I've had this this particular job, though, sleep is a little more delicate on how I approach that. But I am somebody who generally needs sleep a lot. Um, so I'm big on naps, big on getting my rest that way at least. Nutrition, for sure, like... I kind of swing swing one way or the other sometimes because mm-hmm. it's particularly like when I got to cut weight, I have to diet very strictly. Like I'm talking counting everything and using a scale and like I know everything to a gram what I'm putting in my body. So when that's done, it's hard to stay as disciplined, but definitely like nutrition, good quality vitamins, supplements, like just everything, the whole thing. You got to take into an account. I think that people should be just regular everyday people should be a lot more serious about that. Um, but definitely as athletes, like I know athletes that don't supplement at all. I just think it's crazy. Yeah. Like <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. But uh, I mean, even for a regular person, there's so many, so many supplements I think that people can benefit from. But, you know. You can lead a horse to water, but yeah. you can't make them drink. Gosh, that's <laughs> what I do every day. I feel lead all of these horses. Um, do you have like a lineup that you take pretty consistently? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, like a, a good quality multivitamin, um, like uh, like collagen, vitamin D, uh, a lot of omegas. A lot of when I'm in camp, I'm on vitamin C like a lot, high doses of vitamin C which I don't know if it's the best for you long-term to be taking that much that I take, but thousands of milligrams of vitamin C. To bowel good. tolerance, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, of course, diet. Um, diet's a big thing. Do you follow anything specific? Um, like I said before, the, the locker, the fitness VT, um, I do follow that. 
put my information in and loosely follow it when I'm out of camp, but definitely when I'm in camp, like, or I need to lose weight, I stay on point with that, but I've been lifting a lot heavier lately, so I've been, like, just trying to eat a lot more food in general, a lot more protein, that kind of stuff, but, uh, no, I mean, for, for my particular sport, like, carbs are a big thing, so making sure that I, I'm eating enough of the right carbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been demonized quite a bit lately. Hey? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I just don't understand. There's so many arguments. I'm just like, it's just a balance. It's just life. Like 100%. I don't understand. And like, I wish that that was the message being sent out. There's so like these documentaries on you know vegan yeah. and all this sort of stuff. I'm just like, there's a fine line that might not be great for you. It could be perfect for the person yeah. standing next to you. And I think if we just took a little bit more moderation, would all be fine. You know? Yeah. Definitely. I just <laughs> listened to Rogan, and he they were talking about the Game Changer. Yeah, yeah. And they had, like, you know, the debate, one side, both sides, and I'm just like, you guys are all crazy. Like, it's it's not this difficult. I know everybody has a horse in the race, but it's like, it's just about balance. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> and everyone's kind of talking about how the best one to lose weight or the perfect diet yeah. for you, and I'm like, well, it's it probably depends on you know, where you're at in your cycle for girls, and it probably yeah. depends on, you know, what your lifestyle, if you're so stressed, you're probably not going to lose a lot of weight anyway, because... Well, that's it, is, like, people think it comes down to diet. It's probably less about a diet, and it's more about lifestyle than yeah. it is anything else. Like, oh, I would say. All these other things are, are attributes to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. But... Buddy, you're such a wealth of knowledge. Do you think you'll uh, pass <laughs> this down to future generations through coaching or anything? I don't know. We'll see. You never know. I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I actually like teaching um, now and have in the past. I don't get to now as much but just because I'm so busy. But it is something that I do enjoy and would like to potentially do down the road. We'll see. You never know. Yeah, there's so much to give back to the sport, I feel. Yeah, I think so. And it's like it's enjoyable. And it's I like to teach people, like to see the growth, like to see, you know, just people hit their own goals. So we'll see what happens. And, like, the knowledgeable approach that you take to things seems very encouraging, whereas there's a lot of things going around in gyms like, well, buddy did this, so you should just follow this, you know? I think there's a lot to be learned from experience, and a lot of people up until this point have been going by somebody else's experience, not their own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, more hearsay, not really anything that they've learned on their own. So, yeah, definitely implementing uh, what I've learned and helping, helping people grow. Like, I always try to... People like the, even in jiu-jitsu competitions or whatnot, you know, with dieting and things like that, preparation, trying to help kids, just kind of be smart thing. about yeah. it. Be smart. And you have such a – I'm just flooding you with compliments right now. Feel so good. <laughs> Feel so good about myself. <laughs> That's my job, right? Um, like a chill headspace about this. So a lot of people, fighters going into a fight are like 10 out of 10, sympathetic overdrive, yeah. fight or flight. Um, and I think sometimes, yes, we want that adrenaline pump. We want that. But I think there's a fine line between over yeah. and being able to. So when I explain it to fighters, when we're trying to calm down that sympathetic nervous system, it's like seeing the actual landing of the punch versus just punching for the sake of your arm. You can't control your arm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, you see some interesting stuff. <laughs> I've seen it all. Like, like myself or, uh trying to think well i mean like hoist gracie like back in the beginning you see him like how when he comes over fights and how calm he is and just you know 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then you'll see some guys that are just like Diego Sanchez type guys that are punching themselves in the face <laughs> and screaming and yeah. like your heart rate's already at like 170, 180 and they haven't even fought yet. <laughs> That's just, it's crazy to see like the different personalities and the different uh, ways people prepare. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Do you do any like breath work or meditation or? Uh, the breathing, I like. I started to do a little bit um, just for like the, the pre-fight, like just to get my my uh, nervous system firing a little bit more and things like that. But uh, visualizing is a big thing too, like just visualizing the fight and things that you're training. And I, I'm weird, like in my warm-ups, I'll do a warm-up and just do something that I wasn't even like particularly drilling or new, but I'll somehow be able to do it. And then right before I go out, I do it. And then I go out and I do it. And I don't know like how that works, but I guess just that short term of learning <laughs> is something that works. I don't know if it's because of my headspace sometimes, but I've always, I've been impressed with that, especially the last, particularly the last couple of times where I'm like, man, I I strategically did that to see if I would and I did and I'm like that's just kind of weird but. Mm-hmm. yeah and that like I don't know it sounds like when you're that calm you're able to yeah just filter a little bit more and just be in the zone a little bit more whereas most of the time I'm trying to convey to athletes like yes you want to get excited but not to the point where you can't even comprehend what's happening you know well that's it and fighting is is different too because it's 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 in motion so it's not there's not like a standard thing like you know they're going to do this, so you're going to do that. Like, you have to be like water. You have to mold. You have to be able to do, be in the moment and see things and do things. And if you're so hyped up that all you can see is red and you're just going to go out and be the most aggressive, dominant person, you're not going to be flexible. You're not going to be able to mold with what's going on and be able to, you know, roll with it. So, and be creative, right? You're just stuck on, oh, I do this because they do that. If they don't, I just do this, 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 and it's not working. Yeah, I so, learned this move. I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. if it's yeah, if you're not going to, if it's not working for you, you have to change something. So you have to be able to be in the moment enough to know that you got to change um, and be able to, to do that, which is not the easiest for some people. Some people are not particularly good at that. They're good at, I'm going to do this. They're, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, yeah. right? Yeah, the sport itself is so interesting to me, and, like, I've never fought. I, like, did Sanchao boxing one time, and I was horrible at it, but, like, still enjoyed the process 100%. Um, And I just think it's such an interesting sport, from the weight cutting to um, the one-on-one sport. Like, I've never done individualized sports either, so when I look at those athletes, I'm like, wow, that's just such a different game, you know, versus a team sport. Um, but yeah, no, it's super cool. And like all of your information is so valuable for sure. Most of these podcasts, I'm kind of ending them on, um, like a question about what would you either tell yourself when you were younger going into this sport or some sort of like piece of knowledge to the kids coming up in this sport. Do you have anything that you would kind of say right off the bat of what would be important? Uh, I think just the physical part, like being being respectful of yourself and like responsible for yourself from that way, like not not beating yourself up and not overtraining or thinking that you have to overtrain to be good. I think there's definitely a balance of uh, what you need to do versus you know what what you can is detrimental, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding that 
niche for you is is I think the best because a lot of kids coming up listen to whoever their coach is don't listen to themselves so I mean you don't know everything so you do have to take the advice of others but you also got to be uh responsible to yourself because you're the one who's going to have to live with your body for the rest of your life so particularly for combat sports you know there's a very fine line between overdoing it and doing enough so finding that would be would be huge um for me what i <laughs> i don't know like the, the fighting is a weird thing because it's uh it's so much marketing now and it's an entertainment thing more than it is an actual like sport thing it's still physical it's a sport but as far as the business side of it it's entertainment yeah so you see a lot of people that care so much about the entertainment thing and they push themselves in the marketing thing like that's one thing i didn't do which if i look back i probably could have did a better job with that <laughs> but <laughs> it's Greek just assassin, not, yeah. man there was so much around that we could have done. Uh, yeah there's just i'm just not like mr social media or like i do a, enough but it's like there's some people that that's what they do like they're really good at that and, uh, you know, I'm sure that if I would have did more of that, I would have a better brand. <laughs> but it's just not who I am. So yeah, it's that's like fair. I can't sell myself or be something different than what I am. So, you know, I guess people coming up have to find what works for them too, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's, uh, I don't know, like a part of authenticity or something like that to that piece so the people who know you and the people know your style they're gonna come find you right yeah and I think giving kids or understanding that you don't have to do a certain thing just because it's been successful in the past like there's so much opportunity out there yeah. to be yourself yeah be yourself and and find a way to represent that I think is definitely important because too many people will just sell out for yeah whatever right in every aspect like in every profession it's kind of like breaking my heart a little bit and you sort of are half in the game and half out of it and every time like i post something i'm just like oh did did that feel real is that me you know so even those questions is is probably pretty important and yeah i think it's really important to know that i mean like you can have your own style and you'll probably make it if you're good enough yeah for sure hopefully Cool, man. Well, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I always have like this uh, heartfelt of maybe if you're good enough, it'll happen for you. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for sharing with us. I know that was uh, a bunch of topics for sure, but I think like, yeah, a lot of info. I hope you guys uh, absorb some of that. If not, listen again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, sweet. So yeah, thanks again for coming on and um, we'll watch your fights on the big screen like we always do here. Cool. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk soon. (laughs) Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to Chris, you can find him at Kaladies MMA on Instagram. Um, also, for most upcoming fights here in the Maritimes, you can check out Fight League Atlantic. They're going to have a lot of stuff on there. And then for me, it's at Sports.Cokes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>